This is Evermore Poe, the turbulent youth of Edgar Allan Poe. Chapter 10 Juliet promised Eddie she would look further into what she knew about Conjure. Tis best this way. After all, we're talking about serious magic. Juliet's words hung on Eddie's imagination as he dove headlong into his new obsession with magic. He spent the next day writing questions for himself in the margins of his notebook as Headmaster Clark droned on in ambient noise. After school, Eddie made an excuse about not being able to join his friends at the river. He still hadn't told any of them about the incident with the standard boy at the canal. After all, the kid had been spying on their group. Meanwhile, the last thing Eddie wanted to admit to his drinking buddies was that he had accepted an invitation for high tea with someone's parents. The lie seemed to go over well with his mates, Eddie thought. Either that, or they really didn't care what he did with his afternoon. In either case, he began his hike in the opposite direction of his friends and made his way to Richmond's upscale neighborhood on the hill, Court End. In either case, after school, Eddie began his hike in the opposite direction of his friends as he made his way to Richmond's upscale neighborhood on the hill of Court End. Eddie had never met the Stannards, although he did know the name. Judge Stannard was well known in the city, and Mrs. Stannard, he assumed, was a carbon copy of all of the city's other matronly hens, including Ma and Aunt Nancy. Eddie paused and took his gold watch out of his pocket. He still had one full hour till he was expected to call on the Stannards, and yet there wasn't much time to do anything else. Eddie began to have regrets of not going with his friends to their usual drinking spot, but then he had another idea. He turned on his heels and began to walk down Gray Street in the opposite direction of the Stannard home. Along the way, he stooped to steal a handful of pansies from someone's garden without missing so much as a beat in his step. The wrought iron gate of St. John's Cemetery squealed as it opened. Eddie made his way past the ornate headstones along the row, which seemingly grew larger and more elaborate as they went, until suddenly the grave markers stopped altogether. Eddie walked past them all, for tucked behind the most elaborate markers were hidden the simple graves of those long-forgotten souls who never had the money for a proper tombstone. Here among the brambles and weeds lie eternal the beloved actress and Edgar's mother, Eliza Poe. How could anyone be afraid of a cemetery, he thought. The flowers, the view, it's practically a park. Eddie had lost count of how many times he had come to this spot. As a child, he spent hours here with the elderly servant that cared for him during the day. Together, they would sit beside Eliza's little grave, talking about her days as a famous actress. Eddie liked to imagine her spirit sitting alongside them as they ate lunch. Eventually, the conversation would always turn to the famous white chapel on the property. Eddie's nanny was always quick to remind him that St. John's Church was the site of Patrick Henry's famous Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech, for which little Eddie always returned the joke, Mr. Henry must be happy that he finally got both. Even now, Eddie couldn't contain his laughter at the homespun joke. He always was clever with the words, even as a little kid. 
It had been years since Eddie needed an escort in order to visit his mother's grave. He enjoyed coming alone, not because it was peaceful and personal, but also here in the quiet sacristy of the cemetery, Eddie could plot his dreams and hopes for his future. It was here he made all of his decisions. Eddie kept his visits to this spot secret, just as he had done for his dreams of riding. No one understood those, therefore, no one could possibly understand his attraction to the graveyard. Eddie's eyes landed on a wooden cross, nearly concealed by ivy. He walked past the dilapidated graves and windswept crosses that dotted the potter's field and knelt beside the humble plot to, to straighten out Eliza's pathetic wooden marker with his bare hands. It didn't budge. Eddie hung his head in silent respect. A calm came over him, and he said a short prayer before placing the bundle of flowers at the head of the grave. Then Eddie rose and turned to leave. With the clank of the church's wrought iron gate behind him, he vowed to return again soon when nobody was waiting for him. I'll be back again soon, mother, he whispered. By the time Eddie arrived at the Stannard home, he was right on time. It was easy to spot the house because little Robert was waiting on the front stoop of the colonial townhouse. Hello, Eddie, the boy said as he walked up. Hello, Robert. Robert led Eddie around the side of the house where he showed off his pet pigeons and rabbits. What level are you in at Clark's? I'm in the grammar school. Downstairs, then. How old are you, Robert? I'll be ten this summer. Eddie was shocked. The boy's small frame and quiet nature made him appear much younger than ten. A moment later, a servant, the same man who had slammed the door in Eddie's face, let the boys in through the sunroom. Eddie was shown to a well-appointed parlor, while Robert was shown to his bedroom. Edgar chose a red velvet chair near a bay window. With time to prepare, he couldn't help but add a little flavor as he rewrote the story of saving the boy at the canal. Somewhere down the hall, the clock chimed in the foyer. Eddie heard the rustle of a skirt and footfalls coming in his direction. He stood to greet his host, ready to charm the standards. He never expected the vision that sailed through the door. Simply put, Jane Stannard took his breath away. In her late 20s, she wore her blonde hair casually pulled back into a white snood. Her flawless ivory complexion appeared to glow in the afternoon light. Anything but matronly, Eddie never expected the judge's wife to look like this. She was the prettiest woman Eddie had ever laid eyes on. Her beauty unhinged him inasmuch that as Jane Stannard spoke, Eddie had no idea what she said. Are you all right, young man? Um, er, uh, yes, he stumbled awkwardly. His well-practiced charm abandoned him out the bay window. Eddie caught his breath. He regained some of his composure as he accepted the lemon cordial. Meantime, Jane took a seat on an adjacent sofa and explained that her husband was still in court and unable to join them. Such is life of an appointed official, she rationalized aloud, but in her voice, Eddie perceived loneliness. They sat in the parlor discussing the events that had unfolded the night at Huxle Canal. Twice, Jane had to shoo an eavesdropping Robert away from the parlor door. The first time, she merely flicked her wrist as though she was swatting an invisible fly. The second time, while Eddie was mid-sentence, Jane never broke her gaze nor her smile. Instead, she called a stern, Bobby Stannard, followed by the sound of small feet scampering down the hall. So, Mr. Allan Poe, is it? Yes, ma'am. Next year should be your final year before college, then. 
Yes, ma'am. At least that's my plan. And where, might I ask, will you matriculate? Uh, the University of Virginia, of course. Of course, Jane confirmed. Uh, pray tell, then what? After college, I mean. Well, my grandfather, he served in the War of Independence, but he died in Baltimore a couple of years ago. He always wanted me to go into the military, which I guess I'm considering. But my pa, John Allen, he wants me to train as a merchant in the family business. He says it'll be good for me. I see, Jane said, sipping her drink. So then, what are your plans for the future? I, I'm sorry, I just said... Uh, I apologize. Let me rephrase that. It sounds as though your family has already set goals for you. But what do you hope to gain out of life, Eddie? What do you want to do? Eddie sat dumbstruck. No one had ever asked him what he wanted, not even Ma. It was always about what they wanted for him or what would benefit the Ellen name. Eddie had long been starved for such a question, and here it was, right in front of him, but it caught him so off guard that his mind went blank. He gathered his wits and a flood of answers gushed forth like water from a broken levee. I wish to be a poet, a writer, and God willing one day, a publisher of my own magazine. Stories are my life. I love hearing them, telling them, writing them, you name it. It is my one true passion and my raison d'etre. Eddie was showing off now, and it felt so good to unleash his inner creative beast. Oh, that sounds wonderful, Jane said. Do tell, what do you like to write? Eddie seized the question. Well, I like poetry mostly, but when I have a great idea for a plot, I like to write short stories as well. Eddie watched as Jane took another sip of cordial. He quelled a hedonistic thought flashing through his mind. He steadied his chattering teacup and saucer to quell the inappropriate feelings welling up deep inside of him. I should like very much to hear your work sometime, Jane said, smiling. That is, if you'd be willing to share some of it with me. Oh, it would be my privilege, Mrs. Stannard. Please, she said. There's no need to be so formal here. Do call me Jane. Jane. The name rolled off his quivering lip. Until now... Eddie had always thought the idea of love at first sight was a ridiculous fantasy created by delusional fools. Suddenly, he felt otherwise. Evermore Poe is the historical account of a teenaged Edgar Allan Poe. If you'd like to learn more about Eddie's devolution to become the master of the macabre, please don't forget to follow and share this podcast. Evermore Poe was researched, written, produced, and edited by yours truly, journalist Chris Kosach. I began my research more than a decade ago using vetted journalistic methods with corroborated fact-checking from respected sources including the Library of Congress, periodicals obtained from multiple Poe museums, notable scholars and the National Archives, among other collections, strung together in a narrative style. In other words, my story is mostly true. Our music today is from Esther Abrami. It should be noted that some of the characters in Evermore Poe are composites of real people, including servants and slaves who lived in the Allen home at the time of our story. Please note, while Evermore Poe is based on fact, it should not be confused with the historic record. For that, I hope you will go down your own rabbit hole to research one of the most thrilling American authors of all time. Our story continues again next time on Evermore Poe. Until then, I'm Chris Kosach. Thank you for listening.